Welcome to Rocking Our Priors. I'm your host, Dr. Alice Evans. Now, did you know that Arab tribes in the 8th and 7th century BCE were mostly led by women? Well, this is not evidence of wider matriarchy. It certainly rocks my priors. Arab women were once revered and respected as leaders. How do we know this? From Assyrian royal inscriptions. They refer to nine queens of the Arabs. Arab queens are referenced by multiple sources, details Assyriologist Ellie Bennett. Their activities are detailed in both palace architecture and stelae. Now, you may be wondering, what were these just consorts, perhaps just royal wives? No, no, no. Queens of the Arabs are always referred to as, and I'm sure my Assyrian pronunciation will be incorrect here, so you can scold me, is Saratu, writes Ellie Bennett. Assyrians otherwise reserve this term for goddesses. Assyrians did not use it to refer to their own royal women. Assyrians use the term to denote the Arab queen's superlative authority, like female kings. Adie is the only mentioned married queen of the Arabs. The others were not described as spouses. They exercised power independently. Queen Samsi is explicitly described as leading a military campaign against the Assyrians. Other queens were likewise described as militant. Now let's talk more about that military leadership. A battle between Assyrian king Tiglath-Pileser III and Queen Samsi is described in a royal inscription. Samsi is described as commanding thousands of soldiers. And I quote, now I'll do my best... Assyrian impersonation. As for Samsi, queen of the Arabs, at Mount Sakuri, I defeated 9,400 of her people. I took away from her 1,000 people, 30,000 camels, 20,000 oxen, 5,000 pouches of all types of aromatics, thrones of her gods and her property. I set the rest of her possessions and her tents, her people's safeguard within the camp on fire. Samsi became startled by my mighty weapons, and she brought camels, she camels with their young to Assyria before me. I placed a representative of mine over her and 10,000 soldiers. That last bit is a, a reference to her being under the command of like a, a, a vassal administrator. She wasn't actually killed, or she was just put under the Assyrian authority. Anyway, I hope you like my Mesopotamian kingly impersonation. That's my, you know, backup career. Okay, moving on. So the battle between Samsi is also depicted in a, a couple of reliefs from the central palace of Tiglath-Pileser III. And if you go to my substack, you can see images where there's, you know, it's not explicit, nothing writes, this is Queen Samsi. But there are images where there's one, in one uh, uh, relief, relief, there's a figure in a long tunic riding a camel, fleeing the battlefield. And, she's, and they appear to be a very high status because they've got a cushion saddle and the camel has tassels. 
So it seems like an Arab ruler with a military role. And it specifically is about the battle with Queen Samsi. So, so if you want to see what she looks like, um, she's on my Substack. There's another panel which, uh, again, about the Tiglath Pileser III's victory over Queen Samsi and the Arabs. There's a, a person, it looks like a woman, leading the camels. Interestingly, um, Ellie Bennett observes that the posture is similar to other male dignitaries, but the raised hand is akin to how, like a, a symbol for Arab women mourning and tearing their hair in, in despair. And she's also wearing a fringed robe, so that suggests status. So Bennett again suggests this is Queen Samsi. If you want to see her, head over to my substack. So the curious thing is that even after defeat, Samsi was permitted to rule. The, Sa the Assyrian king imposed this, um, I'm going to mess up the Assyrian here, a, a gepu administrator over her. And he was basically the official who governed vassal states. Okay, but these, uh, these queens didn't just uh, lead battles. They were also involved in diplomacy. So Queen Zabibi was a skilled diplomat. Ellie Bennett presents evidence that Zabibi sent King Tiglath Pileser III a tribute, possibly to preserve the peace. It comprised, and again I will do my Mesopotamian kingly impersonation, gold, silver, tin, iron, elephant hides, ivory, multicolored garments, linen garments, blue purple, red purple, wool, ebony, boxwood, all kinds of precious things from the royal treasure, live sheep whose wool is dyed red purple, flying birds of the sky whose wings are dyed blue purple, horses, mules, oxen, sheep, goats, camels, she camels, together with their young. What a treasure trove. So the point here is that Zabibi commanded all those resources and dealt with the Assyrian king directly. And that's totally unique. Now, you may be wondering, well, why haven't we heard of these queens of the Arabs? Curiously, no Arab sources mention these queens. After repeated battles with Assyria... Arab tribes were then led by men. Patriarchs may have eradicated the memory of female leaders, you know, creating a patriarchal narrative and collective memory. Okay, so why does this matter? Why should we care about this? Well, okay, let me suggest five reasons. One, up until today, all, everything I'd read suggested that inherited wealth in conditions of insecurity gave rise to patrilocal clans. You know, male lineages protected their valuable land and herds. So by marrying into patrilocal clans, women were then subordinate, lacking the support of their own kin. But the existence of Arab queens suggests there's actually a bit of wiggle room for cultural innovation. The Arab Peninsula certainly had wealth amid insecurity. Its geography comprised cities, agriculture and trade in these high-value luxuries like frankincense and myrrh. Aromatics were used in Assyrian religious rituals, medicine and cosmetics. So the, the unique thing about the Arab Peninsula is they used uh, dromedary camels, which could each carry 250 kilos and last five to seven days with neither food or water. So again, this is wealth amid insecurity. You'd expect there to be patrilocal clans. Now, while Arab queens were not themselves pastoralists, they certainly emerged in a region of pastoralists. And that's surprising because cross-cultural research by Anke Becker finds that pastoralism is associated with female seclusion. So this evidence of 
Queen Arabs counters such geographical determinism. As I've previously written, you'll recall my podcast, Three Things I Got Wrong About Patriarchy, a major problem with economists' use of the standard cross-cultural sample is that it comprises very recent data and it omits millennia of cultural evolution. The very same places had radically different gender relations in the past. Egypt would be another example, right? So, and here's another another important uh, point. Arab sources may not necessarily provide a comprehensive account of Arab history. Clearly, they omit earlier leadership by women. Um, let me say this draws from Ellie Bennett's uh, fascinating PhD dissertation. Uh, I'll include a link to it if you want to read more. Super, super interesting. Uh, if I've made any mistakes, please let me know. Uh, wishing you the best. Thank you.